Welcome and thank you for tuning into this week's episode of Maryland's Most Notorious Murders, where the most gruesome, the most bizarre, the most mind-boggling high-profile homicide cases occurring in this lovely state of Maryland, they are examined, they are discussed, and they are profiled. For this season, season seven, the focus is on all murders or cases where the murderer pled not guilty by reason of insanity or was found not legally competent to stand trial because of a history of uh, mental illness. And when I say mental illness, I don't mean that, you know, oh, like, I don't mean like, um, well, this person just got mad. I don't mean where they were, you know, like full of rage or something like that. Um, I don't mean that they just one day they just kirked out one day. I don't mean that they just had, you know, like built up rage and just decided to take somebody out one day. No, for these cases, for the most part, these killers were mentally gone. I mean, they had a history of various sets of documented mental illnesses and most had repeated stays in mental institutions and they were somehow allowed to live in society where they should have previously been committed because they showed previous clear signs of mental illness where they should have been uh, receiving treatment a long time ago. Mostly all of the murderers in this season have been sentenced indefinitely to either Clifton T. Perkins, which is the only real mental institution that we have for the criminally insane in Merlin, meaning there's no real chance of them ever being released back into society because their murders were so bizarre, so pointless, so lacking in remorse or human human understanding. And speaking of senseless and pointless, the notorious homicide that I'm going to discuss for this episode is the tragic senseless murder of two-month-old Aubrey Roberts, who was killed by her own uncle, 19-year-old Colin Christopher Wolfe. And like in all of the other episodes um, that's on this podcast, a portion will be dedicated to an unsolved homicide that needs special attention because basically not much, if anything, is going on with the case. Last season, because I profiled 10 unsolved homicides where the victims were women, it's only fair that I show the same amount of, of attention to the men. So for this season, season seven, all of the unsolved homicides that will be profiled, the victims will be male. And for this episode's unsolved homicide, this episode's unsolved homicide is the beating death of 97-year-old Waddell Tate. This episode this week, I ain't gonna lie, to be honest, I cannot even imagine 
being in a situation like this if I were a parent? Like, what do you do? What do you do when your child grows up? They show signs of that something's not right. Something that you suspect to be some sort of a mental illness. You know, you know something is off, but you can't fix it. You can't name it. Maybe your child is an excessive liar. I mean, I know all kids lie, but maybe your child lies about everything, no matter how small it is, no matter who uh, faces the consequences for it. Or maybe your child has a violent temper. You know, maybe they have temper tantrums that are explosive, not like the normal temper tantrums, you know, that little kids have. Maybe these temper tantrums are so explosive that you can't even control it and your child grows up, but they never grow out of this temper tantrum stage. Like an overgrown two-year-old. What do you do? Or, I mean, maybe your kid isn't to the point of where he's killing people or harming people or saying he's hearing voices or nothing like that. Maybe he's not suicidal, he's not trying to kill himself or nothing like that. You know, what if he's just moody, just pissed off at everybody all the time? What if your kid stays in constant trouble in school, depressed? I don't mean like the normal, you know, kids do teen things and they occasionally get suspended. You know, I don't mean stuff like that. What if your kid is just, like I said, moody, depressed, and just constantly in trouble? What do you do? What if they were like this as a kid and it just got worse as they grow older? I mean, as a child. And what do you do? You know, back in the day, I ain't even gonna lie, in some black communities or some black families, at least, you know, if you had somebody in your family that was like a little off mentally, not quite right in the head, not there all the way, that person was usually kept away from the rest of the family, like tucked in a back room somewhere. I mean, stayed with somebody else because everybody in the family knew that that person just was not right. Maybe your, your kid is the type of kid who just don't listen, just don't get along with nobody, just always did weird shit as a kid in, in elementary school, like throwing chairs, pissing in desks, or, you know, stupid stuff like that, cussing out teachers, fighting other students, teachers, whatever. Just one of those kids that you knew wasn't right in the head, that all of this anger and aggression just was not normal. What do you do? Like, in this day and age, in, in modern day society, what do you do with the kids or the people in your family that's like this, you know, that's a little off, but legally they're not, you can't commit them. Legally they're not committable. What do you do with people like this? I mean, these type of people who suffer from undiagnosed mental illness, they can seem normal or, you know, normal to other people, but trust me, they are danger to the public. But are they a danger to your own family? 19-year-old Colin Christopher Wolf 
was one of those types of family members. Colin, from the 2000 block of Bay Meadows Court in Forest Hill, he had a long, well-documented history of mental illness, including ADHD and severe anger issues and anger outbursts. Colin also suffered from severe learning disabilities, and he had been suspended from school at least 23 times. One of the times he got suspended from school was because he brought a knife to class. Eventually, Colin was labeled problematic in school. Colin had issues at home too, which he shared with his mother and his 17-year-old sister. Colin's sister, who just had a baby girl that the family adored and doted on, she was basically just getting to know her new daughter. Maybe all of this new love was just too mushy for Colin. Too too much too much love who because he lived in a mental fog of anger and depression. He lived in a world of mood swings and temper tantrums. The question here is again, what do you do with an angry, moody, mentally ill teenager who got kicked out of school? Colin reportedly didn't like his sister's boyfriend. Maybe Colin didn't like all of the attention that the new baby was getting either. Who knows? But on the night, on the night of Thursday, April the 18th, 2013, Colin acted on impulse and took all of his frustrations out on an innocent baby. Colin's sister had wanted to go visit the baby's father at his home and Colin's mother decided to drive her over to his home in Edgewood where he lived. No big deal, right? And because two-month-old Aubrey Roberts was still sleeping peacefully in her bassinet at around 9.50 p.m. when they left, they thought nothing of leaving her alone with Colin, who was still at the house. Colin's mother and his sister were gone for only about an hour before Colin's mother got back to the house around 10.50 p.m. When Colin's mother got back to the house, she saw that Colin was carrying a plastic grocery bag in his hand, talking about he getting ready to take out the trash. And she saw him when he walked out the front door. And she went when she went to go check on the baby, her granddaughter, she noticed that the baby was in an entirely different position from where she left her when she went to take her mother over the boyfriend's house. And now the infant was covered in bruises and blood. I mean, I would have died. I would have died. Aubrey's grandmother rushed to call 911. And when EMS personnel got to the home shortly before 11 p.m., the paramedics from the Bel Air Voluntary Fire Company, they rushed the baby, who was still alive, to Upper Chesapeake Medical Center in grave condition. Later, Aubrey was transported to John Hopkins Hospital in Baltimore City, where she eventually died at 10.59 a.m. the next morning. A medical examiner labeled her death a homicide caused by blunt force trauma, blunt force head trauma that she had sustained. 
Back at the home, Colin's grandmother told the police what she had seen Colin do when she came home and also that Colin and Colin alone had been left home alone with the baby. When the police went looking for Colin, they found him at a friend's house in the 1800 block of Trudier Court in Forest Hill, and they arrested him right there. The detectives also got a search warrant to search Colin's home, and when they did, in his room, they found a handwritten note or hit list with him listing all of the people that he wanted to kill. Charged with first-degree murder, Colin was held without bail at the Harford County Detention Center. When homicide detectives questioned Colin about what happened, Colin casually told the detectives that because he was mad at his sister's boyfriend and upset with his sister because she didn't deserve a baby, that for whatever reason, no matter how crazy it sounds, he was going to kill the child. And for that reason, Colin admitted to the detectives that he punched his baby niece in the face and sprayed Ace body spray, Ace deodorant body spray in her mouth. Yeah, y'all, y'all heard all that right. Punched a two-month-old in the face and sprayed body spray in her mouth. With Aubrey's blood and DNA still all on his clothes, Colin calmly told the detectives that he did what he did fully aware and knowing that his actions would kill the child. Because of Colin's history with his anger issues and obvious learning disabilities, at first, Colin was found not competent to stand trial. But later, in November of 2014, a judge ordered another mental evaluation for Colin because just because you've been diagnosed with learning disabilities like ADHD, just because you spaz out in school and just because you can't control your anger, that does not necessarily make you legally insane. That does not necessarily mean that you have a mental illness. It's a lot of people I know personally that got anger issues and can't sit still and zap out and got dyslexia or whatever and they don't go around killing people, especially newborns. Apparently, another psychologist felt the same way, and on December the 11th, 2015, Colin was found competent to stand trial for murdering his niece, and eventually, Colin pled guilty to first-degree murder in a Harford County Circuit courtroom. But instead of prison time, on Colin's 22nd birthday, Colin received a life sentence with all but 33 years suspended and five years of probation, but he had to serve his time at Patuxent, which, like Clifton T. Perkins, also known as, uh, like Clifton, like Clifton T. Perkins, Patuxent, which is also known as, uh, Correctional Mental Health Centers, is a maximum security correctional facility that's geared more towards treatable mental health issues especially in teenagers and it's kind of like an institution where inmates they can be treated for their mental illnesses before uh being released back into regular prisons or you can be released altogether from protection after serving your sentence it's kind of like if you suffer for i don't even know i can't even say a mild mental illness but 
they kind of treat you they kind of treat you there before they transfer you into like another state prison like you can be at Patuxent at first and then be transferred back into like a Jessup or Hagerstown um or sometimes you can be released um directly from Patuxent most of the inmates um there at Patuxent are male inmates or basically out of about 1100 inmates that's there only about 100 of them are female the possibility of Colin ever being released from Patuxent anytime soon are pretty slim but Colin does have the possibility for parole and Colin could be getting out of prison when he is 52 years old which is still plenty of enough time to begin a new life and although Colin's family did not come to court when Colin received his life sentence according to an article in the Baltimore Sun Colin's family is still very supportive of him despite what he did to his niece. Now I'm not even gonna lie to the reason why the reason why this was a notorious crime in the state of Maryland was because first off the age of the victim the the baby was two months old. I'm not saying that uh, the state of Maryland does not have a lot of child murderers in their state uh, in the state but the to spray body spray in a newborn baby's mouth honestly when I heard about this on the news probably like everybody else I was like what and if that was me you know if I was the, the mother and this was my brother who did that you know mentally ill or not I don't even know how I could have grasped that I don't know how I could have accepted that I don't know how I could still be supportive to be really honest with you I mean it would be really really hard for me to do that an innocent baby I mean I'm quite sure the mother and the sister um you know the the mother and the grandmother they had no clue of what Colin was capable of and I'm also sure that he showed earlier signs not of being violent like this but showed like I said those subtle signs of mental illness and you know things that can possibly be treated is was just tragic um I believe that he knew what he was doing was wrong you know I don't think that um he was I don't think that I think he should have been found you know competent to stand trial I was I believe that he received an, an appropriate sentence um he obviously something must be wrong for Colin to have those beliefs that just because he didn't like the the baby's father that I'm gonna kill the baby does that even make sense so that's what I'm saying like the the rationality of his way of thinking and his motive lets me to believe that something is off something is off I mean, just because a person has ADHD, just because they have learning disabilities, just because they can't sit still in class, and just because they've been suspended and anger issues, that even that does not necessarily make a person homicidal. So I believe that there was something else here. I mean, I believe that there was something else that maybe we'll never know the answer to. Because um, like I said, I fully believe that he that Colin 
was fully aware of his actions. This was not like something where he didn't know what he was doing. This was not something like he heard voices telling him to do this. This is something that he did for whatever reason that he had conjured up in his mind. So, <sighs> wow. If it, Like I said, if this was a family member, I don't know how I would be able to forgive. It would be very, very, very hard for me to to do that I mean if you kill like you know a, a baby a newborn baby that that would be like it, it's just this one kind of set with me to be honest and now it's time to move on to this week's unsolved homicide and like I say in every episode y'all although a lot of attention a lot of attention and focus is given to homicides and murderers in Maryland that were noteworthy and they may have received a lot of press a lot of attention you know people still remember these cases and something like that especially if you're from uh, Maryland this podcast it does pay a lot of attention to those type of cases but this podcast also shines a light on the many homicides that we see in this state that do not receive a lot of attention they receive almost no attention or press, if anything, at all. These killings are so common in this state that they don't really always make the news. Sometimes when a person gets killed in this state, you don't hear nothing else about it if you hear any news about it at all because we have that many homicides. And for the number of homicides that are unsolved in this state, it's completely staggering. Over 50% of homicides that occur in the state are not even solved. Homicide detectives, obviously, they cannot do it by themselves. They cannot do it alone, especially when they are outnumbered and when they're kept busy all of the time. Let's be, let's just keep it real. Like, what do y'all expect them to do? Everything? I'm not saying that, you know, homicide detectives, um, they are always sterile. But they cannot do everything. They cannot do it all for every single case by themselves. What happens to the cases where nobody is talking? What happens to the cases where they don't receive a lot of press? They don't have witnesses that are willing to come forward and talk about what they have seen or what they know or what they think. The cases or what about what happened to the cases where because the victims because of the victims past? Or maybe they was, you know, selling drugs or doing whatever. Nobody is talking or nobody is talking to the detectives or nobody is really trying to solve these cases because everybody thinks the victim, quote unquote, had it coming. What happened to these type of murder cases? Do they deserve to get solved? Did, or did the, kim- the killer simply just basically get away with murder? It just seems like literally nothing is done with these types of of forgotten homicides not because nobody cares anymore but sometimes because the public simply just forgot all about it it's like we have become immune to homicide in this state well guess what y'all on this podcast although i do talk about cases where uh like i said where they did receive a lot of attention a lot of notoriety and attention on the flip side a focus on this podcast is also on homicides that did not receive the attention that they deserve. And with that being said, this episode's unsolved homicide 
is the beating murder of 97-year-old Waddell Tate. Who in the... Mm, who would kill a 97-year-old man? For whatever reason. Here it is. You managed to live to almost a century old. Only to become a victim of homicide in the city of, you guessed it, B-more. That is how heartless and ruthless this city of Baltimore can be. I'm telling y'all, y'all just don't even know. For people that do not live here, Baltimore City is ruthless. Trust me, on the evening of July 21st, 2017, 97-year-old Waddell Tate became a victim of homicide. Affectionately known as Pop Pop, someone broke into Waddell's home on Darley Avenue in East Baltimore through the basement door. They ransacked his house, then beat Waddell to death while he was still in his pajamas. When one of Waddell's three daughters couldn't get him to answer his house phone, she got worried and decided to come to his home and she found her father dead upstairs. She called the police and when EMS personnel showed up around 6.50 p.m., Waddell was pronounced dead at the scene. He had lived in his home since 1956 when not a lot of black people were even able to buy homes. He was one of the first black homeowners in that area. And Waddell managed to live at his home and make a life there with his wife and four children. Even after his wife died, three years before he was killed, Waddell still lived in his home alone by himself. For 60 years, his home was his sanctuary until the night he was murdered there. Waddell grew up in the South where he experienced serious racism, lived through all of that. He, he joined the army and served in Germany during World War II. Survive all of that. After the world, after the war ended, Waddell got a job at the Baltimore refinery, refinery and stayed there until the building closed in 1975. Because Baltimore is so dangerous in a war zone, like I have said numerous times on this podcast, Waddell's kids tried for many years to get him to move to, you know, somewhere safer. But Waddell loved his home. He loved the memories that it brought him. And... He was not about to move. His family believes that whoever killed Waddell knew who he was and knew his whole routine. Waddell's son-in-law gave a statement to the press that said, He was a generous person and it could have been somebody he spoke to that he knew and they just decided they were going to take advantage of this elderly person. And the then Baltimore City Police spokesperson also released a statement to the press that said, I'm just not certain that hell is even enough for this guy or this person who inflicted this type of harm on a 97-year-old. This is something that we need to rally around the Tate family and find out who's responsible and walking amongst us that has the audacity to put their hands on a 97-year-old man. Even if he was the victim of a burglary, burglary, 
how much can a 97-year-old person, let's be honest, how much can a 97-year-old person, what can they do to you? If this individual kills a 97-year-old man, he'll kill you. Listen, y'all. I seriously cannot agree more. Who? A 97-year-old man? A 97-year-old man or woman? Who would do this? Whoever do this, they knew his routine. They knew that he lived alone. I'm surprised this has not been solved yet. Um, They said nothing appeared to have been taken out of the house. So who would do this? Think. I'm quite sure Waddell's family would love to put this matter to rest. Trust me. So if you have any information that you can provide in this unsolved homicide, any information at all, no matter how small it may seem, trust me, a lot of small details can add up to one big detail. You need to call Cold Case Detectives at 410-396-2100. You can also call Metro Crime Stoppers at 1-866-7-LOCKUP. Or you can text them at 443-902-4824. Once again, those numbers are Baltimore City Cold Case Detectives, 410-396-2100. You can call Metro Crime Stoppers at 1-866-7-LOCKUP. Or you can text them at 443-902-4824. There is a $2,000 reward for this particular homicide. And guess what, y'all? You can remain anonymous. Thank you for tuning in this week. Please be sure to subscribe to this podcast for updates on future spine-tingling, hair-raising, eye-popping episodes. For my paid subscribers, be sure to check out the real, the raw, the uncensored version version of why I do what I do, how and why I got into true crime, why I started all the true crime books, and why I decided to start a podcast. A lot of people think I just woke up one day and then boom, out of nowhere, there is a podcast. But that's like entirely not true. There is a real therapeutic message to this world of mad, this madness world of true crime that I live in. I promise you. Just click on the past episode entitled, Why I Do What I Do, and you'll understand more about why I'm so into true crime. I also want to let my listeners know that for season one, which is the season where we, the focus was on uh, child murderers, six of those episodes have been selected for film production, meaning production has officially begun on the video or documentary production version of those podcasts, which is great. And the very first documentary documentary produced by Savage Life Productions will be based off of the very first episode that was featured or profiled on this podcast. So maybe if you need to have to go back and check uh, episode season one to see what it was about, trust me, you do not want to miss this documentary. So tune in because the video version will be coming to you soon, later this year. And while you're at it, check out the new website 
Merlin's Most Notorious Murders.com. And Merlin is spelled MDS, Most Notorious Murders.com, where you can access episodes one through six. You can also find links to all of the books that are related to this podcast entitled Marilyn's Most Notorious Murders, 1990-2008, Marilyn's Unsolved Homicides, Volume 1. You can also find links to my local bestsellers, Junkie, A True Baltimore Story, Until I Get Caught, The True Story of a Serial Rapist in Baltimore, which is a book that I believe every woman should read, and Child of Baltimore. You can also check me out on the latest season of Payback, which airs on TV One at 8 p.m. You can also check me out on the Oxygen Network for uh, Black Widow Murders, where I profiled Maryland's female serial killer, Josephine Gray. And if you really feel like doing some digging, you can catch me on TV One's Justice By Any Means, which profiles my true crime story. And if you're really, 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 really a true fan and really want to see how much, how far I've been doing this true crime thing, you can catch me on channels like uh, Fatal Attraction for TV One, where I profile the North Carolina killer Peter Moses, or you can even find me hosting Killer Kids for the LMN Network. Once the Season 1 documentary videos are available, you will also be able to find the links to the videos here at MarylandsMostNotoriousMurders.com. Be sure to tune in next week where another gruesome, high-profile homicide occurring in the state of Maryland will be profiled, it will be examined, and it will be discussed on Maryland's Most Notorious Murders. This has been a Savage Life production.